Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch. I'm joined by Nick Hood, Commercial and Financial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. We are recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 30th of April. Um, and we've got quite a nice selection of of interesting, a bit more chunky articles and um, and issues to talk about today. There's a, a really good piece on goodwill um, in the Telegraph, and I think we're going to start there and delve in uh, to, a little bit to, to what that actually means and what the implications are for um, for having a lot of goodwill on on balance sheets. Um, there's some also picking up a little bit. I think over the last couple of weeks we've talked about insolvency and predictions for what's going to happen. Again, a, a committee of the um, European Central Bank has has come out with some um, some thoughts on that this week. So we'll have a look at that. And again, this, um, this point that w- we've made a few times about the cliff edge that's coming at the end of June, once the ability to enforce um, debts and for landlords to enforce um, against their tenants um, becomes available again. There's some proposals now on the table about what might happen to to those um, tenants who haven't been able to pay during the pandemic. So it's kind of interesting to see where the land is is, is lying and what what might happen as that um, as that comes up. So, Nick, should we start with this Telegraph article? I'm going to ask you the um, the, the exam question, and I'm sure some of our <laughs> listeners will know will know my colleague Dennis Baker, and this is always his favourite question to ask in an interview, which is what is intangible asset. <laughs> So, so should we start? Should we start with okay, that? Okay, a speed dating um, <laughs> accounting course on 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 fantasy accounting in in, in corporate balance sheets. Um, intangibles. The big uh, feature of intangibles in balance sheets is goodwill, and it's goodwill created mm-hmm. in the most simplistic um, explanation. It is where um, a company makes an acquisition, pays £100 million for it, but the assets it buys are only valued at 10. So it puts the 10 million on the on the balance sheet. And what does it do with the other 90? The answer is they create this value called goodwill. Acquisition goodwill, it's called all sorts of things. And that sits there and that's absolutely fine in good times, but um, you only have to look at some of the more spectacularly um, uh, high-profile um, collapses recently. Um, goodwill doesn't have. Uh, what was the phrase I saw an economist use? Um, in fact, I think it's in this article. Chuffle value when things yeah. go wrong, which I thought was quite nice. Um, what you also see in uh, in balance sheets in that section is uh, brand values. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you will find that in the balance sheet of something like Unilever um, or Reckitt and Coleman or any of these people. Reckitt's, sorry. Coleman went a long time ago with the mustard. Um, And the reason that people pay this this additional money is in expectation of future earnings. Yes, you're you're effectively, you're you're monetizing your future profit flow. Mm -hmm. So um, it sits there. Now, to give an example, what this article highlighted what, what it was basically saying what, uh, is everybody's worried about the overhang of debts in corporate balance sheets, particularly major corporates. Yeah. But everybody needs to then look at the other side or the mm. other part of the of the balance sheet and look at the asset values. And it's honed in on this goodwill point. And it comes up with this startling um, statistic that 38 percent 
of the companies in the S&P 500 index in the States, and 41% of the companies in the Eurostock 600 index here in, in Europe have a goodwill figure higher than their retained earnings. And this is pre-pandemic, isn't it? I think they were this looking is, at what this will be the situation was pre-pandemic. Pandemic. And of course, what this um, uh, does is that you get uh, all sorts of impacts. When something goes wrong, uh, and remember that in the good old days, when you created a good value, typically you would say, we'll write that off over yeah. 40 years. Now that's That doesn't happen anymore, does it? No, because financial uh, reporting requirements insist that the board... Um, reassesses the value of of intangible assets every year. So, of course, you know if the profitability of the business on on which the goodwill was generated has changed, then the goodwill has to come down. Mm-hmm. So you begin to get collapsing asset uh, profiles in companies, and it has to be done as as a kind of as a single shock almost, doesn't it? Um, absolutely. Ab- ab- absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, it's the old thing about, you know, the value of your investments go up and down. Well, in theory, the value of your goodwill will go up and down. And, and of course, it, it so it affects intangibles. It's one of the reasons why the company watch model is, is, is an outlier, but a very, very good outlier yeah. in the sense that, you know, you don't take um, any of this nonsense about intangible assets um, and you downgrade companies that are over-reliant on them, and quite right. But, of course, it isn't just intangible assets that are caught in this particular bind at the moment. Let's give you an example, hotels. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the value of a hotel in the operator's balance sheet is dependent, to at least some extent, on the profitability. Yeah. Um, I can also tell you from personal experience that um, other forms of um, uh, assets. And I'll give you an example. This was a company that ran lap dancing clubs. <laughs> I won't ask about your personal experience. No, that, no, no, please don't. I have more, more stories than we possibly have time for. But the bank in lending money to that company, um, which like all nightclubs and that sort of thing, the value of the, of the, uh, the company is predicated on the revenue flow. Yeah. And they got the calculation of the revenue flow wrong because of the way that the uh, money paid to the lap dancers was calculated. But that's another story from for, for another a time. different different time. Yeah. So this article um, focuses on and the and, and the basic premises of or you sum it up to use a, an old hackneyed phrase: never mind the debts, feel the collapsing asset values. Mm. That's that's my take on this. Well worth looking at. I mean, should we post a, a link to yeah, it? Yeah, we should post Jared? a link to it. And it's interesting because we we've been um as you say at Company Watch, we we we've always been very skeptical about intangibles um and, and this category of goodwill. Um so I don't think in our podcast we've necessarily looked at that in so much detail. What we have been interested in is the revaluation on the of the tangible asset side, so property valuations yeah. and, and the rest yeah. of it. So and again, I think that that is they don't really pick that up in this article, but yeah. you know you potentially have a double a double blow to to values on the um, on the balance sheet on this asset side of of writing off a whole load of intangibles and having to revalue your yeah. your tangible asset values. So yeah, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting piece. We should we should post the the, the link. Let's look at the this FT um, 
Article. I think actually a number of a number of um, uh, papers pick this up. This is a European Systemic Risk Board, which I, I have to confess was a new one on me, but um, it is uh, it's a subcommittee of the um, of the European Central Bank, and they're talking about a tsunami of of insolvencies. Yes, they came up with a um, uh, an absolutely wonderful phrase. Uh, the uh, the press release, obviously, uh, on which this article was was based, um, came up saying. The current low rate of insolvencies in Europe is similar to the sea retreating before a tsunami, hence the tsunami <laughs> reference. And, mm. uh, and it talks about the um, Europe-wide uh, 1.5 trillion euro support package and what happens after that support package. Uh, we talked about this you know, in the UK context many, many times. And, and what the, what the um, European Systemic Risk Board is saying is it's calling for better targeted policy initiatives by governments across Europe aimed at, at, at two things, really. Firstly, boosting ongoing solvency. And we'll come on to an example of how that might work. Yeah. Um, but it also talks about, and it, again, it comes back to some of my comments about you know, what will happen if there's, a, if there's a real problem with insolvencies here in the UK. It calls for a streamlining of debt restructuring and insolvency pr uh, procedures. And this comes back to the, the problem that if we suddenly get in the UK, you know, 50,000 insolvencies in six months, you know, nobody's going to be able nobody's to cope. cope. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah. And you kind of drew a parallel here because I, I was asking, when well, is are we are we in pre-packed territory? And it's actually not really that. It's it's really no. those companies where there's no hope of um of being yes. saved, and it's more like a kind of a quick a process that. Well, that well, it's a bit like I, mean, I, can draw you, I could draw you two comparisons. The first one is with what happened um, some years ago when the government simplified personal bankruptcy procedures mm -hmm. and just said look if your ass if your debts are below a certain figure and you've got no assets the answer is you're in and out in a year or less it's as fast yeah. as we can do the paperwork mm -hmm. and and there was something similar happened uh, with the financial crisis in asia uh, early in this century yeah. um, where countries like malaysia and, and indonesia and korea just basically said you know we cannot cope with the volume of the of these business failures we have to simply have a sort of tick and go, tick you know tick and, and, and collapse uh, yeah. approach of saying there are no assets, there's no benefit in doing anything particularly sophisticated here, we'll just dissolve the companies. And but then it means that there's not that scrutiny on the the running of the company, the owners, the, the directors and, and so on. So I guess there's a line yeah. to be a, a kind of balancing act, isn't there, between a process that doesn't yeah. clog up and take years and years yeah. and also making sure that, that people perhaps haven't behaved as they so, should have done. Joe, it's a moral hazard problem. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, we had moral hazard in the um, in 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 the in the bounce back loans scheme. You know, as fraudsters yeah. have, have yeah, discovered, yeah. There, there are no perfect solutions in a crisis on this. And and what the um, European Systemic Risk Board, gosh, how did I say That's that without <laughs> stuttering, um, uh, calls for is policy interventions that should avoid supporting zombie firms. Another of our mm. regular bugbears here. Yeah. And it goes on to say, you know, this will significantly slow down post-COVID recovery if zombie firms are bailed out. And we kind of take that to mean things like furlough scheme extensions beyond what's already been announced. Yes. I mean, even I would kind of argue that that perhaps some of the um the the rules around repayments of the 
bounce back kind of government backed loans which are extending periods out mm. to 10 years and having these interest periods interest free periods of, of of repayments you may maybe think that are those supporting companies that perhaps aren't well, viable well Joe, it's interesting i mean the uh, the french government is apparently proposing to convert 130 billion euros of government backed loans into grants and that, of course, gives it the opportunity, if it is so minded, to be picky mm. and to say we will apply some criteria to the companies where we will allow this to happen. And what they shouldn't be doing is turning uh, loans to unsustainable businesses in, into handouts, mm. i.e. grants, because it, you know, it will interfere with competition and economies will not work as well. And as well, we'd we'd be kind of saying there should be transparency about how this is done, and the companies that have had these grants. I think we talked on previous episodes about the um, UK Future Fund and the lack of transparency around um, yeah. around that. So I think transparency really is the um, yes. is the key thing here. So that's that's also it's an interesting um, interesting thing to to come out this week. Um, and by the way, again, if we might post a link to that uh, article, Joe. Yeah. Um, there's a fascinating chart about the fall in um, EU-wide insolvencies, um, and it shows that if you use 2015 as a base, in 2020, um, the insolvency filings were down to 55% of 2015 levels. So zombie, 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 as the, yeah. as the phrase goes. And you can see, and I mean, that is a, is a perfect analogy, the, um, the tsunami, the sea retreating. Because yeah. um, clearly that that will um, will change quite dramatically, um, whether it's this year or, or next year over over a course of years. Yeah. Um, the the thing that I I was really interested to read and and it kind of made me feel like there was some hope, but also I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out in practice. Is the these proposals around um, landlords and how to deal with this huge amount of unpaid rent? I mean, commercial rent we're really talking about. Um, here and there's some kind of interesting proposals that are coming out from some of the large property companies. Let's talk about. Can you talk, talk through what's yeah, um, okay. what's being, being suggested? I, I mean, I think it's. I, I don't think it was the British um, uh, Property Federation that actually kicked this off. I suspect it was the big landlords like British Land and uh, Land Securities. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, they are now talking openly about an idea where they. Uh, and there would need to be some form of scheme here to stop it being abused, some sort of framework, I think. For yeah. Abuse. Yeah. But basically, the answer, the idea is the landlords would freeze the rent arrears from the March quarter day back, March 2021 back, mm-hmm. and uh, agree to spend six months working with tenants on a freeform basis to find a solution, you know discounting of, of unpaid rent, writing off in some cases. Um, or terms, uh, presumably terms over, a over a period of time. Mm. But it would be conditional on the prompt payment of ongoing rent starting with the June quarter. Yeah. And and to put it in context, uh, the, we've quoted a couple of times on these uh, podcasts, the uh, British Property Federation is was saying that the amount of unpaid commercial rent arrears by June would be seven billion pounds. So it's a big number. Yeah. It's a big deal. But if they can pull this off um, without 
factional infighting between different landlords, then I think this may be the way that um, hospitality and retail will get its way through this yeah. really tricky period um, for the back end of this year and, and then through into 2022. So I, I yeah, and I, and I guess we'll have to, we'll see see how um, I guess as you say it will be the 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 type of attitude that is taken towards the different tenants. Obviously, would be quite yeah. a key process. But the fact that it's starting, and I think they that they were talking about having um, a kind of binding arbitration yeah. procedure, which yeah. would yeah. kind of formalise, as you say, in, in a framework. So we'll we'll keep tabs on that and see what um, see what the reaction is. I don't think we have any reaction from potentially affected tenants so far but you know yeah. from the from the from the look of what what's been said so far that seems um positive now let's move on to the um economy. can you pick this up on the economy economy this morning well there's two things joe isn't there i mean let's put one one to bed because we think it, it's another thing that's probably above our economics pay grade um there was a very interesting article uh, beginning of this week in the Times by David Smith, who is one of the sort of doyen media commentators on the economy, um, under the heading, recovery is gaining strength, but Brexit still inflicts damage, which is very interesting. And he then goes on, and you're quite right, Joe, what you said to me before we started recording, that it is slightly difficult to work out what point the man is making, but it is an article full of statistics about where the economy is going and where it, how the growth might occur. And it looks also at, 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 at Brexit uh, impacts, short term and medium term. As I say, uh, I, I think we'll turn everybody off if we start talking about it now. Mm. But maybe we can post a link and people can yeah. read it. And, and if they it's interesting. Back, it's kind of a thought piece. I think I, I approached it thinking there was a point. And yeah. I'm not, and it, it is much more a thought. Um, provoking yeah. article, isn't it? Then, yeah, um, but what, what was a... much, much more fun? I mean, just classic. Um, if you put, you know, if you put all the econ economists, if you lay them all end to end, you'd never reach a conclusion. <laughs> was the Today program on BBC Four this morning managed to come up with one of the very best bits of counterpoint um, commentary on the economy? that I've seen for a very, very long time. Because very often you get, when you get an extreme view in one direction, the, the um, many of the media channels are pretty blooming awful at finding the right counterbalance to mm -hmm. that, that view. Yeah. They got it right for once today. Um, what happened was that uh, the BBC's um, economics uh, correspondent, Simon Jack, interviewed the CEO of Barclays, Jess Staley, who has clearly found Andy Haldane's supply of happy pills because he was in, I mean, you'd almost thought he'd had a drink, but it obviously hadn't. <laughs> but he was absolutely gushing, predicting the fastest growth in the economy in the remainder of this year since 1948. Mm -hmm. The year, year that uh, rings a bell with me because I was born then. Um, and he talked about... Uh, 200 billion pounds of deposits in the banking system uh, above what would normally be the case. So yeah. Andy Haldane's 120 billion has somehow Suddenly. magically grown to 200 billion. <laughs> All those interest rates, such great rates of interest we're being well, paid. Well, I know, I know, mm. gosh. Um, and, and he was basically uh, predicting that there will be a splurge of consumer spending and also business investment because part of that 200 billion is, is, is deposits by companies. Yeah. Mm. on that um, um he did however 
caveat it in two ways, which is interesting. One was to, to say under pressure from Simon Jack that there would be a price to pay down the road in terms of higher interest rates, mm-hmm. which of course would be very serious for the yes. company. Yeah. Um, but he was saying, oh, it won't happen for four to five years. Well, that's incredibly convenient. <sighs> yeah. say that, wouldn't he? Um, and he also caveated by saying, um, this is based on, on his um, conviction that the government will have to continue some of its economic support measures, and he mentioned the furlough scheme specifically, yeah, beyond that's... its current end, on the basis that no, you know, no responsible chancellor would cut that off until the signs of uh, economic recovery were well established. I, 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 I'm not uh, with him on that. It's one. hard. It's hard to see how it will be extended yeah. beyond. But, but it's a view. It's a view um, on that. And so having run that um, that interview on the Today programme, they then wheeled out, um, I think, a pretty respected uh, ex-member of the Monetary Policy Committee, Andrew Sentence, who spent four or five minutes, not, not rubbishing Jess Staley, but just saying, look, let's just look at this a little bit more carefully. And he raised two major points about this idea that consumers and companies would spend the economy's way out of trouble. The first is he made the point that the, the uh, this pent-up savings figure is unevenly distributed. So the people who've got the savings are probably not the people who wish to go out and spend, spend, spend. spend. And we've heard this before, haven't we? I think this has been this has been picked up um, mm. in previous um, previous episodes where that that mismatch of the the savings yeah. and the spenders. I mean, what you may get, of course, I mean, being cynical about this, is you may get a sort of really odd um, consumer boom where the deposits don't shrink that much, the savings don't shrink that much, but credit card debt goes up, debt. Mm. which is not quite what Jess Staley had in mind, no. I don't no. think. And the and, and the other point um, Andrew Sentence made, um, and I can really identify with this, having run businesses and also been an insolvency practitioner. So I've, I think I've got a pretty clear understanding of the psychology of business owners coming out of recessions, because I've been through this personally and then as an IP. Um, mm. he, he, uh, Andrew Sentence is saying, he believes that companies will be very cautious as we come out of this um, uh, and as we come out of this crisis. And, and you made a very good point, Joe, that not only will they be cautious, they'll be distracted. Yeah. Because of there's so much, you know, so many goalposts are whizzing up and down the um uh, the goal line at the moment that it's difficult to know. I mean, if you're running a business, you've got a lot of things to worry about. You've got to get your, your furloughed staff back and reintegrate them. You've got to work out how your company's going to work if it's a services business. Well, that's the thing. So I think you know, pretty much everybody I talk to, the thing that comes up in the conversation is how are we going to work? How you know, are we going to go back to the office? Are we going to have a hybrid? But how is the hybrid going to work? And that seems to be the the kind of dominant thing that is occupying attention at the moment. Yeah. And it's such a big, it's such a big question. And I, I haven't really found anybody who's got good answers to how that's going to work in practice not lots of nice theories but actually when you get down to the practicalities and that is going to take time to to work out and we're we're actually going to have some freedom in the you know all those holidays that I keep asking people to take I think suddenly you know even if it's um in the UK and but I think you know there's there's that sense that that we've got lives to 
lead and there is a, a distraction away from from the, the kind of business yeah, and, and 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 you know um, anderson has also referred in passing and i think he's quite right um that not only was was the uh the build-up of money that might fuel a consumer boom and an investment boom but not only was that uneven um what was also uneven was the state of the economy from sector to sector mm. and he talked about again prompted by simon jack he talked about the um scarring yeah. And specifically referred to hospitality and said, you know, there are some sectors that simply cannot recover that quickly. And interesting, one last point on, on this, uh, there's a very good reason why they can't. Uh, there's a big piece out in the hospitality uh, world today with chefs complaining, uh, executive chefs, who you know, the, the big names in front of these Michelin-starred restaurants, um, saying um, this is all very well, but we can't open, even when we're allowed to at full capacity, even when you when you take away social distancing restrictions, can't get the staff anymore. Mm. And the estimate is that 10% of all the workforce in the hospitality industry pre-pandemic has left. It's either left the industry or it's left the country. country. And these and are the more what, the skilled end yeah, of the and the, and the um, problem profession. is, as, as one, one of the chefs was saying, um, uh, you know, it, I can't get chefs. I can't get people to work in the kitchen because they've all gone home or they've all gone. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're doing something, they're doing something different. So I think Andrew says this is right, that you know, the the recovery will be uneven. And uh and I tend to think he's got it right, that the answer is somewhere down the middle between his view and uh, Jess Daly's. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it feels like the um, the kind of optimistic side is this, this, this sense that you're waking from a nightmare and you can carry on. And, you know, it's great because you've got this great, you know, economic recovery. But the problem is it's not a nightmare. You can't forget about the nightmare that you've had you know we we have that that is a it's like a, it's a trauma to be recovered from rather than a, a question of kind of waking up um from this and i think we're going to obviously be be you know working through the 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 scarring and the um and the, and the issues of horizon and and that's why you know i quite on the landlord proposed i just feel that that is that seems like a sensible way of trying to deal with a problem and not sweep it under the carpet and not insist that you know every last penny has got to be paid back but having sure. some mechanism for, for dealing and i guess that's going to have to happen you know throughout the economy that that these kind of compromises and frameworks is what we need to to see in that collaboration well nick i think as always time <laughs> time is against us thank you so much for um for your your thoughts and for guiding us through an interesting interesting week obviously we'll have more content and um and snippets to to bring you next week thanks to everybody for listening until next time goodbye Thank you.